of suffering didn't make sense to the disciples. As Jesus talked and preached and was intimate with them, they just didn't get it. Franco Zeffirelli, in his marvelous movie, Jesus of Nazareth, uh, portrays one scene, which is very short, but it's where Jesus is talking by the fireside with his disciples, and he says to them, I must go to Jerusalem. And the disciples get very excited. They're very pleased at last. Yes, yes, go to Jerusalem and take your rightful place as king. Mike, if you would just play this little clip for us. But another time is coming. The time for me to go to Jerusalem. Oh, yes, master. You must go to Jerusalem. The whole city awaits you. The elders of Israel must know and recognize you. No, Judas. In Jerusalem, the Son of Man will be rejected by the elders and the chief priests of the temple. He will be condemned. He will be handed over to the unbelievers who will scourge him. Mark him. Put him to death. you've never seen the Zeffirelli film, I, I commend it to you to take time and just to see it. It's a beautiful capturing, scene after scene, of various parts of the gospel account. But I like this one because you sense the genuine desire of the disciples to see Jesus ascend to the place rightfully to become the king that they want him to be, but they do not understand that he already is the king who gave it all up to come down on this terrible mission to come and to die. The king is in their midst, and they don't see it. Have you seen the reality TV show Undercover Boss? Anyone? It's a fascinating, fascinating study where they're taking CEOs and COOs of major corporations, and they go down and they work. The, the one that I like the best is uh, this fellow O'Donnell from Waste Management. Waste Management, that's a Pittsburgh company where I grew up, you know, and Waste Management now is the leading uh, trash hauler. And in America, they own, own more, they own more porta-potties than anyone else on the planet. And uh, Larry O'Donnell of Waste Management took off his suit and tie and worked among the men who clean the porta potties into the slime, into the sewage. 
he identifies with his workers like he has never identified before. He became one of them, but they didn't know it. And then, in some measure, as I understand it, I didn't see the whole episode, I must confess, but as I read about it, he actually got fired. He got cut off from his own people. The, the boss is cut off. Who does this remind you of? It is a picture, is it not, of Jesus Christ, the King, who came and stooped down into the mess, the trash of our world, and who himself was abandoned and cut off and rejected. The disciples didn't get it, that he is the undercover boss of all bosses. And this is why in the Bible you have so many extensive explanations, particularly in the epistles, of the death of Jesus. Because we need it explained to us over and over and over again. And I just want to take the last bit of one verse in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 3. In our Tuesday morning men's group, we studied it recently. Hebrews 1, verse 3. And at the end of that verse it says... After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And in that one sentence, you have the entire explanation of the entire Bible. All of history. That Christ came, he provided purification for sins, and he sat down at the right hand of of the majesty in heaven. The first thing we see here in this verse, friends, is that God has a problem with sin. He had to do something about sin. So when the Bible says the word sin, what is it talking about? Well, you might think you know what sin is, you might have an idea, but, but in the Bible, Sin is defined as any transgression or disobedience to what God commands. If God says, uh, if he prohibits something, for example, if he says, don't do that, and then you think it, act it, say it, or do what, do it, that's a sin. On the other hand, sin is also defined as failure to obey anything that he commands. It's the transgression of what he commands, and if you uh, do what he forbids, that is sin. And it is a failure to comply with his requirements, his holy law. In thought, in word, in action. That is a good definition of sin. Are you with me there? Do you understand? And now the Bible says that God, in fact, is angry at sin. Psalm 2 says, every day. Psalm 2 says he's angry every day. Now, we in the 21st century are very quick to say God is love. God is love, and you hear that a lot. Why? Because the Bible teaches God is love. And I, that's fantastic, isn't it? God is love. God is love. God is love. Back in the 18th century, Nina heard me the past couple nights in bed, I was reading sermons by Jonathan Edwards. And they liked to remind people that the Bible teaches God is angry. God is angry at sin, and they preach sermons like sinners in the hand of an angry God. 21st century, God is love. 18th century, God is angry at sin. Who's right? 
which is true. What do you think? Is God a loving God or is God an angry God? And the biblical answer, of course, is both. Both are true. Absolutely. And depending where you are between the 18th century and the 21st century and how you emphasize different parts of the Bible, maybe you need to hear a little bit more of one or the other. I'm not sure in your particular case which one you need to hear more of in, in your life today. My guess is that most of us in the 21st century have heard that God is love, but we, are, we tend to forget that God is against sin. And so God had to bring a solution to the problem of sin. What is that solution? What accomplished purification for sins? And the answer, of course, tonight is the cross. That perfect place where justice and mercy kiss. We sang some songs tonight that suggest that the cross was an outflow of God's love, and it is, but it is also an outflow of God's anger and his wrath that was poured out angry on the cross. Why is that true? Because it is his anger that fell upon his son and caused his own suffering and death. So it's an expression of two things, not just one thing. Are you with me on this tonight? The cross is an expression of two things. His just anger at sin and his holy love and mercy and compassion for us. Now think with me for just a moment about the little two little words there. After he had made purification for sins. What does that mean? Why did he say it like that in that past tense for us? After he had made purification for sins. Not is making purification for sins or will make purification for sins, but what he teaches us here is that the work of Jesus on the cross is totally finished. Finished. That's why he said it from the cross. It is finished, is his cry. Paid in full. It is done. And it's not something that happens over and over again. No, when he was enthroned into heaven, when he goes up, you read Revelation chapter 5, and he takes his rightful place, it's finished. And their acceptance of him is crowning him with the accomplishment that he has fulfilled for us. It is done. I want you to feel this tonight. He shed his blood 2,000 years ago, once for all time. So what does that mean about your sins that you commit tomorrow? Or on your dying day, the day that you die? What does that mean for those sins? It means they are paid for. Full atonement has already been paid for your sins. You who belong to Jesus Christ, it is finished. They are paid for. What? Somebody says, what? Be careful, preacher, how you say that, because if you tell people that... Why, then they're going to run out and sin, and they're not going to care about how they live or what they say. They're going to presume. Well, you know, the Bible is willing to take that risk in telling us the truth that Christ has finished the work for us completely. 
but anyone who belongs to Jesus Christ will never just totally abandon themselves to sin. Again, they will never do that because they are so grateful for what Jesus has done for them. The Old Testament says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white like wool. It's like taking a glass of red wine and spilling it on the white carpet. That's what your sin is like. And though your sin be as scarlet, it says, because of the work of Jesus Christ, you shall be white as snow, white like wool, clean before the Lord, and not one blemish does he see. Do you believe that tonight? I don't know Shakespeare all that much, not like uh, some of the people in our congregation know Shakespeare, but what did, what did Lady Macbeth cry out when she had this sense of her sin? She cried out about the spot, didn't she? Out, damned spot, out! The guilt that she felt. What was Shakespeare saying to us? The deep in the soul of every person is this abiding sense that they have transgressed God's law, that they have failed to fulfill God's law, that there is a count against them, and the judgment day is coming, and I will have to stand before him on the judgment day, and when the light of God's judgment shines, there will be no confusion. Listen, I can rationalize my sin all I want. Ask my wife. <laughs> and you kids... You kids are good at coming up with excuses for your mom and dad of why you did that and why you did this. Why did you do that? Why did you do Well, you know, we have all kinds of excuses. But on, on the judgment day, on that day when the Holy Spirit of God illumines all things and the books are opened and we give account for what we have said, what we have done and what we have thought, there's not a single excuse that's going to cut it. Okay? Every dispute, you know? He said, she said, he said, she said. Why the pastor did this. Why the elders did that. Why my small group leader did this. Why my father did that. Why my children did that. This is why Lady Macbeth cried out, out, damn spot, I am guilty. And the only solution is the cross. It is the place to take and to leave your sins. In the clip, in the video clip we saw, I like the way Zeffirelli did this because he had Jesus explain that he must die and then he said, but on the third day he will rise again. And there was that swell of the music and you know that's what, that's what cinematographers do. They create these great musical swells in order to lift up your soul. And that's the way we should feel as we anticipate that Christ would rise after he made purification for sins. He would rise and sit down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven and be enthroned at his ascension. Because it is finished. Your sins are paid for. The undercover boss walked among us and was cut off 
for us. You know, when Larry O'Donnell finally revealed himself to his waste management employees, they were so glad. They were really grateful. You talk to HR people in corporate America today, they will tell you that, that the upper management is so out of touch with what's going on down in the trenches. If there's one chord that's struck again and again from this TV show, it is that upper management just doesn't get it. And when they take the time, when they step into the world, the people are very grateful. Well, if they're grateful for Larry O'Donnell, how much more tonight should you and should I be grateful for the King of Kings who stripped away his glory and came, lived, and died among us? How much more should I want to know him? Kevin, in your poem, you asked a question at the end of your little poem. You asked a question, who would not know him? And I ask you that question tonight. Who here would not know him? Who here doesn't want to know him? Why would anyone not want to know him and thank him? So it is our tradition on Good Friday that we would remember the cross and that we would identify ourselves with the cross. And what we like to do on this night each year is we like to come forward and uh, we are not a high liturgical church. In some churches, there's lots of movement for. We don't do that a whole lot, but on Good Friday, we do that. And you received a little medallion when you came in, a little red medallion. And of course, it says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And what I want you to do is to think about things that you've done or said or thought that dishonored God, that hurt another person. I want you to think of your sins and to see them. They are red as scarlet. But then I'm going to invite you to come up and to take it, and I want you to put the red side against the cross, because that's the sins against the cross, and the white side facing out because the Bible says those united to Christ are clean before our Lord and not one blemish does he see. And take the little pin and just push it through into the wood and leave it there. And we're just going to do this. You come up as you feel like you are willing. If you don't want to do that if tonight, that's okay. You can stay in your seat. It's, you, we're not pressuring you to do that. But... But this is an opportunity for you tonight to say, I, I acknowledge I need that cleansing blood of Christ, and I want my sin pressed on him and his righteousness credited to me. So we have little pins right here on either side, and just come up, and uh, let's just have a time of quiet. You may read that poem as you wait to come up. 